Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, June 14th edition of the Basement Academy. Today is Flag Day, dating all the way back to 1777, I think it is, on June 14th, when the Stars and Stripes were adopted as the flag uh, with those original 13 stars representing the 13 colonies. Interesting how the American flag has become such a flashpoint and such a point of division in our society. People uh, will only stand. Some people feel they must kneel. Um, I'm so sad. It actually is an interesting backdrop to some of what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to encourage you to listen all the way through, okay? And listen to the bitter end because uh, the passage we're going to be studying today in Ephesians, I think it's significant where we're going to wrap up uh, our study today. Uh, let me begin by um, offering a psalm, Psalm 74. It's a little bit long. It's a psalm of Asaph, one of the uh, leaders uh, in the ancient Israel, one of the temple song leaders. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your steps toward these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up their standards as signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. Mm, how poignant. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garments and destroy them. But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, O Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant, because haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. Mm. Tough psalm. Hard for us in 2021 America 
to connect to this experience, which is so historically defined. This is really speaking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, how this foreign nation, the, the Gentiles, the Babylonians came and it's like they were car they were cutting through the thicket of trees, right? They they caught all that carved paneling, that beauty in the sanctuary in the temple there in Jerusalem, destroyed, utterly destroyed. We will crush them. And so it, it this psalm is hard for us to connect to because you know we. We don't live in that same kind of Jew-Gentile tension that is so evident here. The Gentiles came, invaded the sanctuary, they destroyed the temple. And so this is a cry for vengeance. How do you say it? Why do you hold back your hand? Take your right hand from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Have regard for your covenant. God, if you're a self-respecting God... (laughs) who is going to honor and keep your end of the bargain you made with Abraham, then you will protect and defend your people. And so there's a lot of telling God what to do here, right? I mean, the psalmist here is very bold, telling God, you made a covenant. You made a promise to Abraham and his family. And so you have a responsibility, God, to protect your people, okay, And, and defend your cause, Defend your cause. Your name is being dishonored among the Gentiles here in this. So it's a really harsh, harsh psalm, which serves as interesting backdrop to uh, the reading uh, in in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so on Friday, we ended with, uh, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Uh, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So So chapter two to this point is really talking about the human condition, all have sinned, and then God's grace. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, raised us up, seated us with Christ. Very different, a pivot happens here that takes us back to the story. Because the tendency is, in some of these New Testament letters, to forget the history, to forget the long arc, the narrative of the Abrahamic story. And so here we have a reminder. So Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, because he's writing to people in Ephesus, which is a Gentile, a non-Jewish city. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Okay, you were excluded, but now in Christ you've been brought near. For he himself, this is verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two, that is Jew and Gentile, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, 
and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, that's dense. It's, it's full. Okay, you need to read this yourself. I mean, that's really just a couple paragraphs. But, but the, <clears throat> the Ephesians, these theological foundations, these opening three chapters, there's a very dense but solid and firm theological foundation truths that are being offered. Chapters four, five, and six move in a more practical or pastoral way. And so here we have recalled for us the backstory, the Jew-Gentile backstory. You who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So kind of the calling each other's names. And so you have this, this reminder that God made a covenant with Abraham. God called Abram to himself, entered into a special relationship. We call it a covenant. And that covenant had several features to it. There was a sign of the covenant, circumcision. There was laws given eventually through Moses. Okay, not immediately because Abraham and Moses are separated by a few centuries. But you've got the law of Moses. So initially, it is just the sign of circumcision that sets Abraham's family apart. Then you've got the law of Moses. With the law of Moses comes uh, the, the priesthood and the sacrifices and the rituals, kind of the worshiping rituals, the festivals, etc. And then you have the dietary restrictions and uh, the restrictions against marriage outside of the Abrahamic family. So do not intermarry with Gentiles. And so God erected a fence, as it were, a wall around them to hedge them, to protect them. Because left to themselves, uh, sinners who have a worshiping impulse made in the image of God, made for relationship with God, will go after any kind of God. Even God's people themselves did it. Even after, you know, Moses leads them out of Egypt and he's up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and the people are crying out, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses. Aaron, make us a calf. <laughs> make us a golden calf. Show us a God. And so there is an idolatrous worshiping impulse that if not directed towards the one true God will be directed towards false gods and all manner of decadence will ensue. And so God protects his people to, to carve them out, as it were, to separate them. That separation is called holiness. To be holy, it simply means to be separate from. And so they were separated so that then they could bring forth the Messiah. When the time had fully come, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, okay? And so the whole promise that God made to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all nations, is fulfilled in Jesus. But 
but this is a plan that takes place over time. And so the, 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 the book of Ephesians is recalling that. So there are no th- abstract theological arguments about predestination and the like. There's only this one story of salvation and redemption, God working through Abraham's family. But in that story, there is a separation between Jew and Gentile, Abraham's family and all others. And so Paul pulls back to that story. Remember, formerly you who are Gentiles uh, by birth, you were at that time separate from Christ. That is, Messiah was was in the context of Judaism, was in the context of Abraham's family. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, uh, without hope and without God in the world. And so this Jew-Gentile division separated out God working with this community, the Abrahamic community, the Jews, so that all who are outside of Abraham's family are separate. They're excluded. They're foreigners. They they don't have this same relationship with God. Now, God is still God, and God is still um, faithful to all and provides food and rain and sun, etc., but the saving relationship is in the context of the covenant, okay? And then Paul makes this reference here to this hostility. There was this division became a deep, settled division, and that's the context of Psalm 74. The, the, the psalmist is giving, bearing witness to um, these Gentiles, these Babylonians who've come in and destroyed the temple. Take your right hand from the fold of your garments and destroy them, God. And so there is hostility between Jew and Gentile. It exists to this day. Anti-Semitism is still a reality, sadly. We've been, we had a, a webinar on that recently, but we've been seeing that in the news just in recent weeks. And so there is deep hostility in the human family, but the original hostility was between Jew and Gentile, right? And so you've got this division uh, that, that creates a, a sense of hostility And so what Paul is saying here is you Gentiles were formerly excluded, but now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And so here's the key. Jesus himself is our peace. He has made the two, that is Jew and Gentile, he's made the two into one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So it, that fence that has hedged Israel about has now been taken down. So that Gentiles are no longer obligated to keep the law of Moses. The dietary restrictions are gone. The sign of circumcision is no longer the sign of the covenant. It's the sign of baptism. Um, uh, intermarriage, you could say, still, it's not between racial intermarriage. It's around Mary inside the family of Christ. Do not be unequally yoked. So that you could say that maybe continues, but in a different way, not in an ethnic racial way. Um, So racial intermarriage is perfectly permissible. The key is marrying inside the family of faith, being, being yoked to another Christian believer. 
but God takes this dividing wall of hostility away. He, he destroys it. He, he breaks it down. There may be some reference to the wall that, that kept the, the, in the court of Gentiles uh, in the temple of Jerusalem um, as it's rebuilt. So it was destroyed and then it was rebuilt. <clears throat> the Gentiles were kept at a distance. And so this language of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near is maybe a reference to that uh, keeping the Gentiles at distance. We fail to understand the deep emotional um, legacy, I guess is the word, <clears throat> of the Jew-Gentile hostility. It's we're, Most of us probably who are listening to this are, are Gentiles. And so the, the notion of the, the, the Messiah being for Gentiles, Christ being, Jesus being for Gentiles is like, yeah, sure, everybody gets that, right? God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him, not just Jews, but whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. We get that now. But in the early church, that Jew-Gentile hostility and division is still very active, very real. Uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter is called in a vision to go visit uh, Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and while there, Cornelius says, bring us the word. God, God told us to send for you. You obviously heard the call. You've come. Tell us your message. And Jesus begins to talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls. Cornelius and his family embrace Jesus. And Peter kind of slaps his head and he goes, now I get it. God shows no favoritism, but he wants men from every nation, every race to, to be saved. This is even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has fallen. Peter still is thinking that Messiah, that Jesus only died for the Jews. He thinks that when Jesus says, go to the nations and make disciples, he thinks he means go, go to those other places where Jews have been scattered, go to Ephesus and find the Jews there and then preach to them about Jesus, but forget those Gentiles. So now, Peter in Acts chapter 10, and then subsequently we see in Acts chapter 15, the, the um, Jerusalem council, what do we do with the Gentiles? <laughs> they're, they're coming to faith in Jesus. They're, they're coming to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the Savior. But what do we do with them? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? Do they have to be circumcised? And so we fail to understand this, in, this deep, significant historical context that Paul is writing about here. Formerly you Gentiles, you were excluded, but now in Christ you've been brought near. God's purpose, and so here's the thing. God's plan was to create division so that reconciliation could come about. He had to hedge his own people about. He had to choose Abraham and, and wall him in because otherwise Abraham's family would have become like all other people. They would have become idolaters and there would not have brought forth the Messiah. And so he carves out a people. He creates a division because God knows this plan of salvation is to bring uh, reconciliation about so that in Jesus Christ, the two Jew Gentile become one. God's plan is to take diverse humanity and make them one family again. 
But God knows what sin does in the human family. God knows that we form these tribes, these moral ideological tribes. We, we, and the easiest uh, tribalism is over skin color, right? But it's often also over other things. So we see political tribes, we see religious tribes, we see, we see even within the Christian family, we see religious tribalism. We call that denominations, right? <laughs> and even within denominations, you get conservatives and liberals. And so humans, sinful humans are relentlessly tribalistic <clears throat> because of what sin does. The sin is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We set ourselves up to be those who determine good and evil. We set ourselves up to be gods. And so what sin does, so the Gentiles are coming in there and they're destroying the temple back, you know, Psalm 74, uh, back in 580 BC, the Babylonians are coming in and they're trying to burn that thing to the ground. And the psalmist and other cry, God, take your hand. And so all this human animosity and hatred and hostility, there's only one way to remove it. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There will be no unity in the human family, no reconciliation between races or tribes of any sort. There will never be unity and reconciliation within the human family apart from Jesus Christ. It's hard enough in Christ, right? <laughs> and so we think of the cross. So, so Paul is writing here, he has uh, destroyed, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two and thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We think of the cross as only reconciling us to God. We forget that there's a reconciling to one another that happens through the cross. And so we think, tend to think exclusively of the vertical reconciliation. God has forgiven my sins because of the blood of Jesus. I am reconciled to God. That's the vertical component. But what this, why this passage is so significant, because there is a horizontal component to reconciliation. It's just not getting right with God. It's getting right with others. It's laying aside our tribalism, laying aside our differences because of unity in Christ. And so only in Jesus... When a person bends the knee to Jesus and declares that he is Lord, we submit to his lordship. And he says, go love your neighbor. In fact, go love your enemy. No, 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 God, you don't understand. I have a good reason to be at odds with that person. You don't know what they did to me. Or look at their skin color. Or look at who they vote for. And Jesus says, no, sir. No, ma'am. If you bend the knee to me as Lord, then you go love that person. You go serve that person. You be humble with that person. You forgive that person. God's purpose in creating division is to bring about reconciliation. There is to be one, only one race of people, <laughs> one new humanity. That's what he's talking about. And so <clears throat> this is so significant for the racial tension and racial division in our society today and why I'm so deeply disappointed in our presbytery who recently sponsored and offered a series of trainings. Again, it hired an outside um, entity, Service Never Sleeps, 
and and they came in. It's kind of a secular organization, and they come in and they are talking about the need to do away with white supremacy and hatred towards people of color. And in the process, you generate hatred towards whites by people of color and perhaps even by whites. Nowhere in 18 hours of training did anyone lift up. I tried to do a little bit of this in the chat box, uh, but no, no, there was nothing brought forward from this passage or others, but this passage is so critical. Racial unity, racial reconciliation will never happen apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope for the human family to be reconciled to one another. No hope for justice, no hope for peace, no hope for this compassion and humility. Oh, we might have fits and starts. You can have legislative efforts by uh, Congresses and Senates of, of any nation. Legislative bodies can try to legislate things into being and it will fight, it will fail. It will always fall. Only when people have bent the knee to Jesus as Lord and they have recognized their own brokenness, their own sin, their own pride, their own need for reconciliation with God, only then in a lordship relationship with Jesus, and then Jesus says, now I want you to turn and go love your neighbor and I want you to be reconciled with that person. I want you to wash their feet. I want you to eat at the same table with them. Take my body, take my blood. I want you to pray with them, our Father. I want you to sing amazing grace with people of every race and tribe and language. Only in Jesus will we find unity with other humans. And so I was so disappointed in our Service Never Sleeps, our Presbytery's training effort, 18 hours, and not once was it lifted up that the only hope for this to come about is through Jesus. There are other works that must happen, and maybe there are legislative efforts that, that will be helpful, but let us be clear that only in Christ will we find unity and reconciliation. That is God's purpose. His eternal purpose is to reconcile fallen humanity, all who bear his image, to reconcile them into one family through Jesus Christ. I hope, well, only if you're listening to the end, have you listened to the end? <laughs> I hope people didn't bail out <clears throat> because this is central to this work. And so this is why all of this, this the, the, the political rhetoric of our own society, why all the, the controversy around the flag, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna stand at the American flag. America cannot bring about reconciliation between the races. Legislative efforts, the flag cannot do it. Veterans laying down their lives cannot do it. Only Jesus Christ can bring about racial reconciliation, racial unity, because only Jesus Christ has the power, an incomparably great power in us to overcome all of these deep-seated biases and prejudices. Even Peter himself still didn't understand it until that moment where he goes, oh, I get it now. <laughs> God has come through Jesus Christ to reconcile the whole human family. Yes, Peter. That's exactly what it is. Let's close here. We got a lot more to talk about. We'll pick up here again tomorrow. But I hope 
this has provided some challenge and for some, some food for thought. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, be pleased to send your spirit of grace and truth and unity and power into us, among us, through us, so that we might fully understand the impact of the death of Jesus, not only to reconcile us to yourself and how we thank you for that, but to reconcile us also to one another in the body of Christ. And so we pray for your church, Greenwich, your, our sister churches in the community, your church spread throughout the world that is seeking to reach every tribe and nation and language and people. Father, give us wisdom in these very challenging days when there are false notions that reconciliation can happen by legislative efforts of secular governments. It will never happen. Lord, teach us of Jesus and help us to be bold and to stand for Jesus in new ways. Father, bless us as we get into this new week and may the scriptures that you have given deepen us, challenge us, shape us, remake us in a way that brings greater peace and unity to our world. And so we offer all of these prayers in the name of Jesus, who is our peace, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the God who sent his son Jesus to be our peace, may he lead you into deeper peace with those whom you may not yet be reconciled with in your family, in your community. May he become our peace now and forever. <clears throat>